They call us crazy, obsessed, and extreme. But what really makes them uncomfortable is our level of commitment to sport. What they don't understand is that this is how we feel most alive. This is how we become our truest selves. This is what makes us whole. If that's crazy, sign me up. Hi, I'm Ed Gibbons. Welcome to the Rewire Fitness Podcast. On today's podcast episode, I'll be joined by Sun Sachs, CEO and co-founder of Rewire Fitness, and Walter Sayano, Rewire's Chief Scientific Officer. Throughout the podcast, we'll be talking about our mindset recovery system that forms part of our three-pronged approach to neuroperformance that's made up of brain endurance training, a readiness assessment, and today's topic, the mindset recovery system. So let's jump right in. So today we're going to be talking through many of the protocols that we use in the mindset recovery system. Um, so for example, we've got binaural beats, subliminal priming, guided breathing, visualization, and also mantras and self-talk. Sun, can you talk about how we bring those all together to form our, our mindset recovery system? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's really unique about our system is, you know, there's these individual protocols, some that are, you know, common and well-known and others that um, really have just been in the, in the science and the research. Uh, but we're basically bringing them all together in a package uh, for different purposes. So um, in any one session, you might do like, even if it's something as short as two minutes, you might do a combination of a minute of box breathing while you're listening to binaural beats and um, then getting subliminally primed while you're doing mantras. So it sounds complex, but it's actually a very relaxing kind of seamless experience. And um, then we have everything sort of categorized and filtered. So if you're focused um, on recovery, you can go into the recovery section and pick the, the different lengths of protocols that you'd like and sort of the mix, mix and match the ones that you want. Um, if you're focused on, um, you know, a pre-competition or pre-workout prep, you can pick the section for that. We have ones um, to increase focus. So if you're just trying to be more productive. Um, so there's a bunch of different different uh, options and lengths. And uh, the last part about it, which is important is unlike many other sort of more mindfulness-based solutions, there's no real metrics to tell you how everything went, um, both from a, a qualitative and objective standpoint. So our system also allows you to um, sync with the heart rate monitor um, and so we'll measure your physiological response to each protocol and break it down in detail. Uh, and we'll also ask you sort of your subjective rating of relaxation before and after the session. So not only can you sort of, you know, judge for yourself how you feel, but you can also see what protocols impacted your physiology and then do them more often depending on your needs. Um, and there's really nothing like that that'll sort of give you that the data as well as a really cool experience. Completely. Thank you. So I want to start off with quite a topical area, particularly with coronavirus going around and, and the sort of stress and anxiety that that's causing in, in modern day. Um, so Sun, can you just start off by talking to us about some of the protocols we use to control stress and anxiety? Yeah, absolutely. At a very high level, um, we do some both uh, psychological and physiological uh, protocols. So on, on one end of the spectrum, we bring in some traditional, but in some ways not as well-known breathing techniques like box breathing, uh, which is used by the Navy SEALs and nurses in hospitals, uh, you know, really to manage stress, anxiety, and to bring your body into a parasympathetic response. Um, and then we also incorporate uh, some psychological techniques, also sort of known but not very well utilized, uh, like subliminal priming, where we're flashing um, images of uh, sort of positive images or positive messages. And those also um, uh, create a um, psychological response that's positive, uh, as well as uh, 
as we've seen in some of these more recent studies, it reduces the perception of effort. So um, both of these, you know, can be used actually in combination as part of our solution where we'll sort of stitch them together. You'll do a minute of box breathing and then you'll do a minute of subliminal priming. And then we may bring in some of the other protocols, which I'm sure we'll get to. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. And more to focus on the, the box breathing component for, to start with, can you talk us through some of the physiology and um, the sort of science behind how that how that works and how that brings about real change? Yeah, so basically um, box breathing is this type of breathing. Uh, basically, it helps to relax at the physiological level because what happens is when you're starting to uh, breathe in a in a certain like similar patterns and and very regulated. What happens is that is that your brain is starting like to downregulate, and along with your brain, also your cardiovascular system it starts to downregulate. It's been proven that your resting heart rate is reduced when you're using like a regulated breathing, and in this case, like the box breathing, and also. It's been proven also that your heart rate variability increased, which is which is basically a sign of uh, your body going into into a relaxing mode. So in this case, like our ability to uh, find a way to regulate properly our breathing will definitely help from an emotional perspective, and it will it, it will also like cha- uh, uh, produce specific changes at physiological level. And to give an example, one of the box breathing methods we have in app is five seconds breathing in, five seconds hold, five seconds breathe out, and then five seconds holding that exhale. How would it sort of adapt the the, the changes if we had, if we change that time? Yeah, so basically, like box breathing, like um, which was uh, at the beginning used by the Navy SEALs, had the had the goal to uh, reduce the level of anxiety and stress, but at the same time, keeping your level of focus very high. They do this one by basically uh, keeping the amount of inspiration and expiration time exactly the same. It's well known that if you increase your expiration time, let's say like uh, the you inspire, uh, you do inspiration for two or three seconds and your expiration is for like five or six seconds, you will increase more the relaxation mode. But this one will will create a problem from for your level of arousal or, or readiness that maybe as a Navy SEALs you might need it. So it's very important when we talk about box breathing also to define the exactly length of the inspiration and the expiration that, that we are doing. Because based on this one, you might achieve different results. One is more like for one is more controlling your level of anxiety by keeping your focusing high, while the other it's it's more of a relaxation technique. Absolutely, thank you. And son, just coming back to you, have you had any sort of real life scenarios where where box breathing has been a real uh, helps sort of in your training and also performance? Yeah, I mean, I actually use uh, box breathing uh, via the Rewire app every day. Um, I find it to be particularly useful when um, when I'm in the middle of sort of a stressful workday or uh, kind of a heavy workload in terms of training. Basically, uh, I'll do I can do anywhere from a few minutes to um, maybe ten minutes of box breathing. And what's really cool about it is, you know, we we integrate with uh, standard heart rate monitors. So if you're wearing a heart rate monitor and you do this um, sort of focus on just doing the box breathing, you'll actually see your HRV as uh, Walter mentioned climb. Um, and, you know, it's pretty interesting. Like I've seen it go from, you know, basically 10 points higher at the end of the session. Um, we know, which is clearly, you know, clearly uh, is impactful. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, as Walter described as a cue that you're, you're getting a parasympathetic response, which is really sort of a rest and recovery state. And that's exactly what you want, um, both when you're dealing with a lot of training. Um, and then also, you know, if you're feeling a high level of stress, so just sort of on the spot, whenever you need it. Um, it's great to just open up the app. Even if you do something short, like a minute, um, you know, I feel a difference personally every time. Walter, would you like to add anything more on box breathing before we move on? 
Yes, please. Um, yeah, very important. Like there is a lot of research that the proof that basically your ability to regulate your breathing will create more a sense of control even uh, during sport performance. It's very well known that uh, according to science, like uh, uh, the regulation of uh, your breathing, in this case, like uh, what we call breathing frequency, it highly correlates with your, with your perception of effort during, during running activity, which means that our ability to be able to regulate properly our breathing will also reduce our perception of effort during a physical time. And as much as it's working for a, for a physical performance, it definitely will increase also your ability to sustain attention during a, during a cognitive task, which brings our attention to the fact that our uh, um, training and exercising um, this kind of capacity is very important for both like the physical and the cognitive performance of any individual. The other interesting thing about Buck's breathing in particular is that um, essentially you're holding your breath for a short period of time and that increases the CO2 buildup in your blood and that actually changes your cardio inhibitory response of your vagus nerve. And your vagus nerve is really, among many things, is a system that runs from your stomach up through your heart, the muscles in your face in your brain and is um, responsible for your fight or flight response. So it's literally um, helping to, as Walter was describing, sort of downregulate or encourage your body to get into a parasympathetic response. And there's other protocols that we use that we'll get into shortly that have the same effect, but from a different entry point, like more on the psychological side. Yeah, exactly. As social beings, uh, subliminal priming is really uh, powerful in its effects on us uh, in terms of a reduction of perception of effort. Um, there's been lots of research behind this to, into how it sort of reduces your uh, perception of effort and as a result increases your athletic performance. Uh, Walter, can you just give us a bit of an insight into why perception of effort is such an important component in this situation? Yeah, because um, for many years, like perception of effort has been, been like a huge topic in science, but also in 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 sport because been it's been it's been proven multiple times that that perception of effort uh, is actually a key component of how people modulate their sport performance so and in most cases is it's been it's been proven that perception of effort was was a component that is somehow not always correlated with the physiological parameters so there was there was this um, this idea that if you were able to alter perception of effort um, in a in an athlete or in a specific sport performance, you were actually able to change that performance without any uh, physiological alteration. So this also started like a, a big line of research and a big interest in trying to understand how it was possible or was able to manipulate the perception of effort of individuals to get the best out of their performance. And this performance could be both uh, physical or cognitive. Absolutely, yeah. And Sam, we've got a sort of specific sequence in our app that, that might be quite confusing to some in, in terms of how it works at first. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into, into a sequence we've used and also what, what what's the value of each step? So, um, yeah, as it relates to subliminal priming, um, the sort of a, a few interesting tidbits before we get into the specifics. Um, you know, as um, we've seen in some studies specifically with athletes, um, priming somebody with either uh, positive imagery or action words actually has an effect on uh, perception of effort um, as well as just overall uh, athletic performance and uh, sort of uh, maintaining a positive mindset. So how does that actually work? And sort of, you know, um, uh, the, the components to a, sort of the procedure, the subliminal priming methodology that, uh, you know, we based on the research, um, there are, there's actually software out there that 
um, you can do this, but it's not really accessible to the average person. And so we wanted to create a solution that um, follows the same guidelines, but is literally built into the app. So from a user standpoint, you're literally just opening up the mindset recovery and you're um, looking at the screen. And uh, what you're seeing on the screen is a sequence of things. And I'll sort of break down what those sequences are. The first thing you see is a black screen with a cross, like a little X or plus sign. And um, that's um, basically called a fixation cross. And what that's doing is making sure that the subject is looking at in the right place at the screen. So we actually animate our cross to make sure that the person's maintaining focus. That appears you know, for basically a half a second. Um, and then um, right after that, we subliminally prime them uh, with uh, basically a face of a person. Um, and there's, there's a lot of sort of background behind this, um, which we can get into uh, shortly, but just to talk about the mechanics. Um, basically, we, we show that for 20 milliseconds. Um, there's actually a limitation with computers. The average uh, refresh rate on phones and uh, monitors is 16.66 milliseconds. So we can't go much faster than 20 milliseconds. Um, and there are recent, there's recent research that shows that people can perceive uh, an image as in as quick as 13 milliseconds. So what we use to ensure that this um, that the imagery is subliminal or unconscious is the next thing we show is what's called a backward mask. And that's basically um, a very simple pattern that we show in, in immediate succession after we show the happy or sad face. And um, what that does is basically it interrupts, it's basically a, um, it interrupts the stimulus that's uh, from the priming image to your brain. And you, it basically cancels out the fact that you might've slightly perceived the face and instead you just perceive this sort of black and white pattern. Um, so that ensures that it remains unconscious because it, the efficacy is much stronger making the imagery unconscious as opposed to just why not show people smiling over and over again. Um, and then the other aspect uh, as it relates to the faces is that we're also alternating um, between neutral faces um, and uh, happy faces. So two thirds of the time we're showing neutral faces, a third of the time we're showing happy faces. Um, and that's so that there's, you know, we maintain um, the impact of this sort of affected facial image. If you were to show that just sort of the smiling face over and over again, like anything, your brain starts to tune it out. Uh, we're also alternating between male and female. And we're using imagery that's from a, a database of human emotions that's already been validated. So, you know, um, the last thing that happens is you either see a black screen or you see a randomly placed circle. And what that's meant to do is to sort of um, reset the condition so that the next time we prime the person, they're, um, they see the fixation cross uh, fresh and they're basically ready to receive the prime. Um, so it's, it, it adds this sort of random component to the experience so that we maintain their attention. Um, and so basically that whole sequence lasts three seconds <laughs> and it'll basically play over and over again. Um, and while you're looking at the screen in between kind of as an interstitial, uh, we also show mantras, um, which we'll get into, I'm sure, uh, shortly, but that sort of also just keeps things interesting. So you're not just basically staring at a cross over and over again, you're, you're getting some inspiration and some other information, other content while you're getting primed. So that's basically how the mechanics of it work. Fascinating. You mentioned there one thing that I just want to pick out on is um, that it's more powerful when you show a sort of subconscious image rather than a, just showing a smiling face. Do you know yeah. what sort of the science behind that is? Why, why is that the case? Yeah, I'm, the the interesting thing, um, I think you alluded to it in the in the intro of this. Uh, we're social animals, so we respond to our fight or flight 
uh, cues uh, from, among other things, looking at each other's faces. So like if you're looking at it, if you're talking to a friend and suddenly they start screaming, um, you're actually going to have a, a physiological response, not just an emotional response. Your cortisol levels are going to go up. Your fight or flight is going to be activated. You're going to basically be ready to uh, save you and your friend from any immediate danger. But the same thing happens with uh, smiling faces. So if somebody's positive and happy, um, that gives a cue to your uh, vagus nerve and your fight or flight system that you're actually in a safe condition. Um, and that activates, you know, other hormones and, you know, other psychological and physical effects. And so basically what they've done is in, in quite a few studies, they've tested the efficacy around when it, the smiling face is just shown versus when it's shown unconsciously um, and something about the way our sort of older biology works, you know, we take in or process that information differently when it's subconscious. Um, and so that's why we follow the, all the protocols to make sure that it really is in sort of an unconscious perception. Um, and the super interesting thing is that not only do uh, images of faces work, but so do action words. So you could, you know, you could basically in one of the studies um, that a colleague of uh, Walters worked on, um, they used action words like go or lively or energy um, versus inactive words like tired or sleep. Um, and basically in a time to exhaustion test with athletes, the people that were primed with those action words, the pot, you know, sort of the action, not the inactive, but the, but the active words, they were able to go seven minutes longer on a time to exhaustion test. And as many of the folks listening know, a time to exhaustion test is basically a brutal test where you uh, get on the bike or maybe the treadmill and you go as long as you can until you can't go any longer. So going seven minutes longer is enduring, you know, quite a lot of uh, fatigue and exhaustion um, over the control group that, you know, basically gave up quicker. So it kind of shows you how there's a psychological and a physiological impact to um, the priming uh, system. Really interesting. Walter, is there anything further you want to add on subliminal priming before we move on? Yes. I mean, the interesting things about subliminal priming is that like, it has an effect on your mood. Uh, of course, like when you show active words or you show smiling faces, uh, both subliminal but also consciously, what you're doing is that you're, you're trying to alter the, the, the mood of the individual and it's very interesting because the mood, like uh, emotional responses in general, are very linked to uh, the way we perceive things in the world. And, and this includes also perceptional effort. It's not, it's not news that people that are really mentally tired and they show higher level of perception of effort when they engage in any type of physical or cognitive task, they are also in a very altered state of mood. And this link clearly the, uh, the mood that we are in with the way we perceive the world, or in this case, perception of effort. And it's very interesting just to, to cite like some other example that the, the level of fatigue that we have during like any type of physical or cognitive task or at the end of the day will definitely alter uh, other type of perception, such as time and space, for example. At the end of the day, when people are really tired, like spaces seems longer and time seems slower. So it's very interesting how the ability to modulate our mood can have an effect also on our perception and as a consequence on our performance. Absolutely, yeah. Again, just showing that the sort of relation between perception and, and performance that we keep talking about and coming back to. Um, and further on that point, and also on, on something that we've kept sort of alluding to, which is these sort of positive self-talk messages uh, and mantras. I, I just want to focus on that for a little bit. So in our app, we've got programmable uh, mantras and we've also got some built in. So we've got calm and focused, dig deep, keep going, be strong, just to name a few. 
and we allow our users to plug in their own mantras if they have any that work particularly well for them. Walter, you were involved in a study in 2013 by Blanchfield and colleagues, uh, and that investigated the effects of self-talk on endurance performance. Uh, and, and that sort of comes back to the point again that self-talk had a positive effect on reducing our perception of effort and in turn improving our performance. Um, can you just Give a little insight into that study and some of the results you found, please. Yeah, so there was a there was a very interesting study because uh, we were trying to understand the extent of uh, the effect of self talk on a direct sport performance outcome. And so far, at least back then, there were there were not a lot of evidences on this type of uh, of study. So what we did is that we tested two groups of people in which one group was engaging in a self-talk uh, protocol and the other group was instead a control. And we found out that people engaging in the self-talk were actually, they were able to choose the words and they were able also to train to use the words during the, during the, uh, the physical performance test in the lab. They were able to last longer on a on on attempt exhaustion test. They like Sam said, is this type of brutal test where you have a fixed power or a fixed speed. You need to basically uh, run or ride for as long as you can. So and it all boils down to your perception of effort and your motivation to keep going. And it, and we proved back then in in the study the self talk helped. The, the subjects to last longer because they decrease their perception of effort at any given point. So they perceive the effort or they perceive, or they perceive that the load they were, they were pedaling, in that case because it was cycling, it was lower than when it was in for, for the people in the control. We tried, we attempt to control for motivation as well, but motivation is a more complicated parameters but i do believe the self-talk has a huge impact also on 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 the motivation of why we engage in a certain task which is a motivation and effort together a very important component of sport performance like the very important component in a, in any type of behaviors Absolutely. Thank you. And as you mentioned, self-talk is something that as athletes, it really, it really resonates with us. We all seem to have very personal mantras, either positive or negative, that we naturally do and find that they bring about really positive change in our performance. Son, have you got any that you sort of use in practice, any mantras uh, that really resonate well with you? Uh, yeah, I, I really like sort of toggling between uh calm and focused and strong and focused um, sort of depending on if I'm dealing with a lot of pain or not. Um, in a previous episode, we covered my experience climbing Mount Rainier and some of the challenges. And I definitely um, was experiencing a lot of back pain and sort of maintaining a calm and focused state and giving myself that reminder over and over again, really helped. Um, the other, um, thing of note is one of our longtime uh, beta athletes, Laura Klein, um, she uses a series of mantras in her competitions. So she'll actually think about the course. She's an ultra runner and, and um, overall endurance athletes uh, cycle across all kinds of sports, but she'll basically think about the course and the challenges she might um, encounter. And then she'll sort of chunk out different mantras for different phases. Um, and I think she has like one near the end, which is like, bring it home or, you know, something along those lines. Um, and uh, yeah, it really, it really sort of helps. Like, cause if you think about the reverse of that, where um, you're repeating something negative over and over, you know, even if that impacts your performance by a half a percent spread out over a few hours, <laughs> you're going to be going slower. You're going to have a, you know, a worse time. Um, you're going to feel the pain more. So it it's definitely a really effective thing. What I like about the app is you can sort of trial those, de develop them and practice them, you know, through our brain endurance training system and sort of figure out which ones work best for you. If I can add something to what Sam said, it's very interesting also the choice of the words that we use. Uh, a lot of people has a tendency to focus on what they don't want to be or what they don't want to do. 
like mm-hmm. uh, I don't, I'm not a loser, or I will not lose. And actually, this is in general, even in psychology, it's not a good strategy because our brain has a tendency to associate the words with images, but they they don't tend to process the negation. Which means if you say I'm not a loser, the only thing is that your brain process is actually losing. And instead, it's a much, it's more, it's more effective to focus on actually active words. Like uh, if you are, if you feel like that you need more power and more speed, you're focusing on generating more power. For example, this is a, this is a word I do have. Uh, that that I use often in my in my self talk mantras is a it's it's a generating more power. I repeat to myself, generating more power, more power, more power. And instead of saying like I don't have enough power, or or instead of saying like uh, uh, like I don't have to be weak, don't be weak, don't be weak, because your brain will only focus on being weak. Actually, this is very interesting. So there is there is a list or there is. A guidance on how you can construct your mantras, which is also what we are working in Rewire to make sure that that, that everyone who is using the mantras, it can build their own their own set of uh, of uh, uh, words to make sure that they are as effective as possible to boost their performance. I just want to pick out something that you just mentioned. Is it something that I've been repeatedly reminded of by coaches um, for my specific position in rugby, which is uh, hooker. There's a skill called a line out throw. And that's a skill that I've really struggled with over the years. And um, one thing that sort of I've been told over and over is never focus on saying, you know, don't miss because our brain sort of interprets that as miss. It's always about focusing on hit it rather than don't miss. Um, so yeah, a really powerful component that I think is overlooked quite a lot is that our brain can't interpret those negative parts of it. We just hear the miss. Um, yeah. So yeah, really crucial part to think about. Stan sort of mentioned this also. We show different mantras for different stages of our workout. So uh, we might show one more specific to an early stage, like calm and focused, um, or at the late stage, it's sort of go, 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 strive to succeed, never die easy. Those sort of late stage, bring it home kind of messages. Um, and I think the timing of them are really crucial in this um, part of it. A tangent, but it's totally related. You know, we talk a lot about mental toughness and how to build mental toughness. And um, similar to mantras, you know, in one interesting study where they looked at basically endurance athletes, primarily triathletes and runners, and they basically surveyed sort of the top performers in, in each group. Um, and they broke down all the attributes that each person had and, and sort of stack ranked them and tested them. And the top three attributes for mental toughness that they determined were self-confidence, which was number one. We'd all kind of assume that. The second was positive cognition and the third was self-belief. So positive cognition is basically the things you tell yourself when things get difficult. And obviously positive refers to telling yourself, you know, I can do this, you know, I'm totally capable, I got this, all the all those sort of positive uh, phrases that are actually going to help you get through it and become more mentally tough. So in developing those mantras, um, you really, you know, really does sort of add to your grit or your ability to endure, which is obviously uh, a lot of the reasons why we, we created rewires to help athletes reach their potential. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we've sort of spoken about how uh, self-talk and mantras have a really positive effect on our performance. Son, can you just give a little bit of an insight into how we've integrated it into our recovery strategies too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, obviously if you're trying to recover, um, repeating go, go, go is probably not the best, the best approach. So, um, you know, we've basically within the app, um, our athletes can program mantras specifically for the brain endurance training part where they're really working on mental resilience. And they can also um, program mantras specifically for recovery and mindfulness. And we've, you know, done a lot of research and integrated ones by default. So you don't have to sort of um, um, make them up or spend time building it if you don't, uh, if you don't want to. Um, and so in those ones, we're really looking at 
trying to get to help someone get into a centered uh place to put things into perspective. So, you know, we have um, ones like calm mind. So you just think about that calm mind. Um, Ones like center yourself or trust your instincts. Um, One of my favorites and probably Walter's too, be like water, my friend (laughs) from Bruce Lee. Um, So it's all those, those sort of the, the softer side of the mantras that are really focused on recovery versus uh, action. Um, And the way those integrate is once you program them, or if you use the default ones, when you're doing one of our recovery packages, they'll just come in in a sequence um, randomly so uh, so you don't really have to think about it. They're just going to come in at the right time and sort of cue you to think about these different aspects. If I can add something to what Sun said, said like very interesting about the mantras is that they you use the mantras to create an image in your brain. So your, your word and your quotes create then an image in your brain. And of course, it's important to choose the right the right words or the right mantra, depending on what exactly you're doing. Like Sun said, like either you are in the middle of a competition or you are uh, in a post-recovery strategy, depending on what type of mantra you use, it will definitely help you because you visualize or you have this image in your brain of what you want to be or the state that you want to be. In the example of uh, be water, like Bruce Lee says, this definitely works for post-recovery strategies or it might work during a type of work or a type of port that you're doing where it requires a lot of adaptability, for example. And you remind yourself that you are like water that can be shaped into anything. So then you, you create this image of you being super adaptive to anything. And the image helps you to actually become the kind of objective that you are aiming for. Absolutely. And another component I want to talk about, we've also touched upon is, is visualization and, and mental imagery. Um, to give a bit of context, we all know the importance of it as athletes, but I heard a story uh, the other day, which was um, from Eddie Hall, former world's strongest man, uh, after his 500 kilo deadlift attempt. And he basically said he was able to train his mind to a point where he could picture himself and visualize himself uh, with a burning car trying to lift it off his, off his kids. Um, and that's sort of how he got his mind in the right state to lift this 500 kilo, uh, barbell. Um, Sung, can you just talk about how we've sort of integrated visualization into the app and, and sort of how, how we hope to br- it brings about a reminder to athletes to incorporate it into their own routines? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, so what's cool about the, uh, mindset recovery system is that it can be used not only to help just with recovery, but it can also be used pre-competition. So we all, um, as athletes, we all have our kind of pre-game rituals, you know, to sort of repeat in a sequence to, to make sure that you, you stay calm and ready for, uh, for whatever you're going to face, whatever challenge you're going to face. And um, what our system does is it may layer on, you know, first you get the kind of the box breathing. um, So you get into a, you know, calm, physical, relaxed state. And then we'll, you know, bring in sort of these mantras, you're repeating them, you're getting into a positive mindset. And then you'll see uh, what we call visualization cues. So those will be, you know, 15 to 60 seconds of time that allows you to just sort of go through in your mind uh, what your plan is. So one of the visualization cues we have, you know, for the pregame competition would uh, be remember your game plan. So it just gives you an opportunity to walk through in your mind for 60 seconds, the plan of attack uh, for your competition or for your training session. Other ones where you're focused on recovery, we may say, um, what's most important to you today. And so you, it, it allows you to sort of step back and get that perspective about what actually is the most important thing you should be worried about. Um, and, you know, it's rare in this culture in these times that we even take a f- even 15 seconds 
to contemplate, take a step back and contemplate what's most important or to visualize success. You know, we're just go, 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 go. And so, you know, it's just a, a great opportunity to incorporate that easily into your routine. Thank you. And, and Mortis, you, can you just touch on the sort of science behind how visualization works from a sort of mental perspective? Yes. So uh, in a way, it, it links with what we were discussing before with self-talk, because the words help creating an image in your brain. And then the, the image is what, what also helps you to make a visualization. And visualization of mental imagery has been used for many years now in psychology to help uh, to help people to achieve higher level of performance or to increase the level of focus. And it's actually very interesting because mental imagery has been proven that it changed the way um, your brain processes information. There have been studies using the fMRI proving that people engaging in mental imagery uh, basically, the, there is certain area of the brain that are activated that are the same one that are usually are activated just before you are engaging in the movement that you want to do. So let's make an example. If you're visualizing or you're trying to repeat a certain movement that you need to do for a, for a competition, like your brain in certain specific areas starts to be activated just before you engage in the movement. And when you do mental imagery, you're actually doing exactly the same without doing the movement. So it's incredible. It's a kind of training that you do to prepare your brain for the movement that you are about to do. Either you do the movement or not. And it's incredible. And on top of this one, the visualization, like we said before, it definitely helps to get you in control or, for example, your level of anxiety, your level of, uh, uh, of depression, or your or your mood changes, or your level of stress, because visualization helps also your body to relax or to get in control, and it, and he and it activates your parasympathetic system. So it's 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 very it's very it's very interesting, and there is a lot of evidence and the neuroscience is trying to catch up on the on the psychological study that's been done like for many years on that and on any psychological book that you can look at mental imagery is always one of the main of the main psychological strategy used in uh, in uh, in any type of performance like sport performance work performance cognitive performance Absolutely, yeah. Performance a massive part of performance, um, both from a sort of stress reduction perspective and also just sort of allowing you to push yourself further, really seeing yourself complete that movement or whatever it might be. Um, Son, have you ever used visualization in practice? Definitely, yeah. I've, I've um, used it for years, um, you know, in my, in my early bike racing days. Uh Think and then even in you know more recently in just physical challenges like climbing Mount Rainier this summer you know just thinking through this the sequence and thinking through success um, and it and even just sort of practicing as Walter was saying working through some of the challenges that you that you assume that you're going to encounter it's um, it's really useful uh, and what's also kind of cool is. Um, I know we're going to talk to this in a, in a minute, but um, the binaural beats aspect uh, when you have sort of this really relaxing calming music that is encouraging you to sort of get into a certain mental state. And then you combine that with visualization. It really sort of amplifies the effects. Um, at least for me, I've seen, you know, I feel like I can get into that um, virtual world picturing picturing success, picturing working through the challenges even easier when I'm listening to the binaural beats. I had this experience when I was a kid um, where, uh, you know, being uh, unwise and uh, growing up in, uh, in Boulder, Colorado with a lot of um, kind of extreme weather and conditions, I was playing with my friend and we went down to this uh uh, to this river and the river was frozen over. And so there's basically ice um, 
you know, pretty thick ice over the whole river, but it was, you know, strong. It's like the main river that runs through the city. And uh, we were walking across it and it was probably, um, I don't know, maybe 50 feet wide. And um, halfway across, my friend uh, broke through the ice and underneath the ice was the actual river that was still rushing by. And he started to get sucked under the ice and there was no break in the ice. It, it was like being you know, uh, in the polar ice caps or something, it was like hundreds of feet before there would be another opening. Um, so, you know, literally it was life or death for him. And I, with that, even thinking, I ran back across, I grabbed this huge log and threw it, you know, across the, the hole that he fell into and helped him get out. And then later I came back and I looked at that and I was like, how the hell did I even lift that? You know, it was like eight feet long, you know, a foot around. Like, I don't even know how I did that. It was just this uh, instinct to just save my friend. And, you know, obviously I was super motivated (laughs) because it was literally life or death. And it does sort of, the parallel to that is sort of the athlete you're describing who sort of broke the world record. Like when, when, when everything's on the line, that's some heavy motivation. (laughs) Hundred percent. I just want to move on to sort of binaural beats, which is uh, we'll touch on last, but definitely not least. Uh, so essentially, binaural beats work when two different frequencies are heard, uh, one in each ear, and that creates a third tone, which is a binaural beat uh, whose frequency is the difference between the two other tones. Uh, for example, if the if one tone in one ear is four hundred hertz and the other is four hundred and ten, the binaural beat here is going to be ten hertz. And essentially, what happens there is our brain tries to mimic that frequency. Uh, and of course, we can create different types of tones to create different types of effects. For example, we can create a theta wave to help with recovery. Son, can you just touch on how we've sort of incorporated binaural beats into the mindset recovery system um, to bring about different effects? Definitely. So binaural beats are a pretty big aspect to our mindset recovery system. Um, most of the sessions that you can pick will include a component of binaural beats and there'll be different ones for different purposes. So we'll have a, a delta wave, you know, to mimic deep sleep and, you know, sort of deep physical recovery. We'll have a theta wave for um, sort of a mimic meditation or recovery um, alpha you know, again, for recovery, something more in the beta range for, um, you know, focus and concentration. Um, and basically we work with an audio engineer, a uh, PhD level uh, audio engineer. He merged it, uh, the binaural beats, which are not, they're not very palatable to the ear. They're kind of annoying sort of cyclical sounds. Um, he integrated those with, um, some really beautiful, relaxing music. So effectively, it just feels like you're listening to relaxing, calming music, which you know has a has a sort of qualitative effect already. And then on top of that, you know, sort of um, unconscious to the ear, we're funneling in the the binaural beats. And so when you're in the system, you'll just say like, Hey, I I want to uh, do a session that's going to help me focus. I want to do a session that's going to help me relax. And part of that will include the binaural beats, which just play in the background. So you could do a session even for an hour listening to binaural beats um, with your earbuds in and not even looking at the screen while you're working. And, you know, I do that all the time to just help with focus. Um, Or you might, you know, while you're, um, relaxing, you know, with the compression boots on, um, on the couch, you could also listen to, you know, binaural beats, uh, theta wave. Um, and not only is it just calming music, but it's also helping your brain sort of entrain into that state. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, and Walter, at the start of this year, you did a sort of in-depth study into how binaural beats affects, um, mental fatigue. Can you sort of give us an insight into that study and and what you found out, please? Yes. So basically, what we tried to do was um, to try to understand if we could use binaural beats to tackle the problem of mental fatigue. So we wanted to know if people that are already mentally tired, they can find a way to recover fast from the from the type of fatigue and make sure that they were able to engage in another cognitive task, uh, which 
could translate in the real world like coming back to work in the afternoon after you've been really tired in the morning or starting your working day after you had a very bad night's sleep. So we did a study and we basically proved that using like a few minutes of binaural beats after an exhausting 90 minutes of very high cognitive demanding task, which we know produces mental fatigue, had a positive effect on another cognitive task that we were that we were that the subjects were performing afterwards. The interesting thing was that the binaural beat had a had a better effect than actually using a mindfulness protocol. And the funny things was that it had a much better effect than using mindfulness. Either mindfulness was used by a novice in meditation or an expert in meditation. So that was very interesting because it's uh, preliminary evidence that you could use binaural beats in a very passive way and had also a much better effect than using a mindfulness protocol. Of course, this does not mean that you shouldn't do mindfulness because mindfulness has a lot of other benefits that the binaural beats alone, they don't. But it was interesting to show that you could use binaural beats in a very passive, fast way to recover for a moment of from a moment of mental fatigue that you might that you might experience during the day and trying to come back to work or getting ready for competition if you are if you are an athlete right away. And this was very interesting. And it's very important because uh, binaural beats uh, um, had had a lot of attention in the last years and there have been a lot of uh, advertisement around saying that they had like miracle effects. We personally try to stick on the scientific truth and using the binaural beats for what we know, it actually works. Absolutely, yeah. and it's it's fascinating that you can use it in that passive way. It's obviously a, a lot more easy to integrate a, a passive technique or protocol into your routine um, than, than sort of sitting down doing half an hour of meditation or mindfulness or whatever it might be. It's far easier to just stick those headphones in, keep working or keep training, keep recovering in whatever way you're working on and just let your brain uh, do the work in the background. <laughs> fascinating. Son, you use this, uh, the binaural beats a lot on your climb. Uh, and we've touched on that quite a lot in, in our previous podcast episode, but can you sort of give us a brief insight into how you use those on your climb? Yeah. So the, uh, the cool thing about, um, the experience using the app on the climb, um, it was a three days, you know, sort of multi-day event, uh, basically climbing, um, Mount Rainier, um, uh, in the process, you know, we're at several high elevation base camps. And um, as you might assume, uh, sleep was hard to come by. Um, over the course of three days, uh, I only had six and a half hours sleep. Um, and meanwhile, this is leading up to the summit attempt where we get up in the middle of the night. Um, we go up some pretty treacherous uh, conditions and spend, you know, 15 hours summiting and then descending down the mountain. Um, so so you really have to be um, at your best, but yet you're totally compromised with sleep. So, you know, there's there's situations like that where, guess what? You're not going to have a great HRV score. You're not going to have a great sleep score. It is what it is, but yet you still have to perform. I mean, in those situations, uh, I found the binaural beats to be extremely helpful. So what would happen is I was just sitting there in my tent, unable to sleep, maybe because it was the, the middle of the day I was trying to sleep or, um, you know, the conditions were such I just couldn't, or I was feeling stressed out. Uh, and instead what I did is I just put on back to back binaural beat sessions lasting an hour at a time um, at what would sort of mimic deep sleep so that I can really get that physical recovery. Um, and then also uh, sort of mimic um, sort of REM sleep so I could get that uh, cognitive recovery. So I would was basically doing sessions that were like a two hertz frequency and six, six hertz frequency and really trying to um, help myself because I had no choice. Right. Uh, and I found it incredibly helpful, like on the summit, uh, night, 
when I, when I um, basically got up cause I wasn't sleeping. Um, I felt sharp um, and I felt very capable. And even at the end of the very long day, uh, when I had been up for more than 24 hours at that point, and previously it only had six and a half hours sleep, I actually felt okay. Usually I'm wrecked if I have an all-nighter and I was totally able to make it down the mountain safely and have a good dinner and go to sleep at a normal time. And then I, I woke up totally recovered. Um, so it was tremendously helpful in those situations when you really just can't get the sleep you need. Definitely. Thank you, son. So, so today we've talked about all the protocols we've currently got in the app. Obviously, we're not done yet. We want to keep expanding it. Uh, Walter, can you sort of touch on some of the features we, we're looking at adding in the future? Well, yes. Uh, what we're trying to do is uh, this type of mindset recovery, it's a very dynamic concept. So we are working relentlessly to to find new ways and new strategies that we can introduce uh, on an app-based version, and then we can use it. We can use it for with our clients. Um, there is no specific features I would like to talk about it now, but it's important, like to just mention that we're actually working to including much more strategies in it for the future. Like there will be more strategy-related breathing, and we are working on you know, all the neurophysiological strategies that we can add in it. And we're always trying to pick the one that are always scientifically validated and the one that they can be they can be used or they can be used practically uh, on a daily basis, and and the one that can be actually built in and out. So stay tuned, guys. <laughs> perfect thank you very much both of you for talking to me today and I, I look forward to talking to you in the future our pleasure our pleasure thank you very much Ed. we can't wait to bring rewire and our mindset recovery system to you but whilst you wait we've prepared a quick preview of what's to come stay tuned after the podcast for a quick mindset recovery session focused around relaxation it features two hertz binaural beats and guided box breathing specifically designed to help with relaxation and stress reduction. Try to wear stereo headphones for the best effect. To learn more about Rewire or to place a pre-order, please check us out at rewirefitness.app. Today we're going to do a short session of box breathing, which has been used by the Navy SEALs to manage stress and anxiety. It also activates your physiology for recovery and can be really useful for on-the-spot sessions when you need to calm down, even if just done for one minute like in this session today. Find a comfortable place to sit down, put your earbuds in if they're not in already, and we'll begin. Sitting comfortably in an upright position, take a slow breath through your nose on a count of four. One, two, three, four. Hold your breath. One, two, three, four. Exhale through your mouth. One, two, three, four. Hold your breath. One, two, three, four. Inhale through your nose, one, two, three, four. Hold your breath, one, two, three, four. Exhale through your mouth, one, two, three, four. Hold your breath, one, two, three, four. Inhale through your nose, one, two, three, four. Hold your breath. One, two, three, four. Exhale through your mouth. One, two, three, four. Hold your breath. One, two, three, four. And one last set. Inhale through your nose. One, two, three, four. Hold your breath. One, two, three, four. 
Exhale through your mouth. One, two, three, four. Hold your breath. One, two, three, four. And inhale slowly and relax. Relax.